0: But let's begin reading here in Exodus chapter 34, verse number 1. The Bible says, The Lord said unto Moses, How uh, hew these two tables of stone like the first, and write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables, which thou breakest, and be ready in the morning, and come up to the morning unto the Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to meet in the top of the mount, and no man shall come up with thee. Neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount. Neither let the flocks and the herds feed before the mount. They hewed two tables of stone like the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went unto to mount, mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with them, there and proclaim the name of the Lord. the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, and he will not he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children, and on the children's children, to the third and fourth generations. So we look at this text here today and I want to consider one of the attributes of God here today. I want us to zero in on verse number 6 where it talks about the Lord being long suffering. The Bible says here the Lord passes before him and proclaimed the Lord God the Lord God merciful and gracious, long suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. I want to consider here this morning we looked at last week the amazing love of God I want to consider the amazing long suffering of God let's go ahead and pray as we consider this thought here today Father we thank you Lord uh, for this morning we thank you again that we can meet and uh, that we do not um, suffer persecution like many Christians of the past did we thank you again for our government and thank you for our freedoms in general in our country we ask that you would just Help us this morning to consider the long-suffering of God. Father, the love of God is so amazing, but the long-suffering of God is something that amazes me even uh, even more in degree in some ways. Help us to understand it here today to some degree. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You know, I think about the long-suffering of God, and it amazes me that we are not in a Position to some degree where God has said, You know, that's enough. Enough people have been saved. I'm ready now to have the rapture. I'm ready for the world to have their own leader, you know, their Antichrist leader. And I'm ready, so to speak, to allow them to go through a time of suffering and sifting that we see in the seven years of tribulation. Again, We wonder why sometimes God doesn't just judge people. You'll see people, if you want to, you can go to the internet anytime you want. You can find people, again, they'll they'll go out and they'll ask for God to judge them. And of course, God doesn't judge them. You know, they'll show themselves and they'll show a picture of themselves and say, if you're really real and I'm that wicked, why don't you just kill me? And God won't kill them. God won't judge them. And we wonder, we scratch our head, well, then is is God alive? Is God real? Is he he really there, so to speak? Why does God not judge swiftly and surely and even in a sense righteously? It's because of his long-suffering. Long-suffering defined as that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation that does not hastily retaliate or promptly punished. Long-suffering. God suffers long. And the Bible says here, and and the Lord says, this is one of his qualities, and he he tells Moses this. And I don't know why he proclaims his name this way, but he says this in verse 6, The Lord passes before him and proclaimeth, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And it goes on from there. We wonder why God puts up with so much. At least it seems to me he puts up with a lot. You know, we'll talk about someone that's long-suffering. We'll say, you know, they put up with a lot. You know, those parents put up with a lot. Those teachers put up with a lot. Those employers put up with a lot. Or whoever it might be, they just put up with a lot. But nobody puts up with what God puts up with. As we consider the the measure, if you would, of God's long-suffering, or we think of the character of God's long-suffering, the Bible says he's long-suffering here in verse 6. And that's how the Bible describes his long suffering. But let's turn, if you would, to Second Peter chapter three. That's kind of an introductory to God's long suffering. God declares it. He says, "I'm long suffering. I'm gracious," and all those kind of things he mentions there in Exodus chapter thirty-four. And then in Second Peter chapter three, we see more about why uh, God is long suffering, because it even mentions here in. In verse number four, that there are scoffers and and that sort of thing. And they're concerned, so to speak, that, you know, God hasn't fulfilled his word in coming or returning. And uh, let's pick up there in verse number three. And we'll learn a little more about God's long-suffering here from Peter. In verse three, it says, Knowing this first, that there shall come the last day, scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as, as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and into water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed, flowed with water, water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering, to us outward, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And the earth also, and the works thereof, shall be burnt up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heaven and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that be found of him in peace without spot, and account that the long suffering of our God is salvation. Even as our beloved Paul also, according to his wisdom given unto you, hath written unto you. We see the words long-suffering twice in the text, and it mentions that in verse number 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slack, but is long-suffering to us word. Verse number 15, it says, an account that the long-suffering of our God is Salvation. Why is it that God suffers long? It doesn't mean that God will put up with sin forever. It mentions that even in the text here. You know, it mentions here again the flood of uh, of Noah's day. And it mentions that the earth standing in the water and out of the water. It was overflowed with water and people perished in verse number 6. And it mentions a fiery judgment that is to come. It says, the heavens and the earth are, which are now, by the same work, kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of a godly men. So there is a judgment coming. There's no doubt about that. It tells us about that. And it mentions in verse number 10 that the earth's going to be melted, in, in a sense. The elements with, with fervent heat, verse number 10, the earth also and the works thereof shall be burnt up. There's a There's a burning type of judgment coming, just like there was a judgment there in the Old Testament that took place during the time of Noah. And these judgments came as a result of sin. And it mentions here, but God has a purpose for suffering long. What is that reason for suffering long? In verse number nine, it says, He is long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why long-suffering? Why not just punish? Why not just allow, again, people to end up with the penalty for their sin? Because God is long-suffering. And so I want to consider the long-suffering of God, and I want to, first of all, define it. Let's turn to Romans chapter 9. As we define it, I don't want to define it just as one word, long-suffering. Because Paul defines it as being more than just the word long-suffering. In other words, not just having a quality of self-restraint or not hastily retaliating and not uh, being one who would punish readily or speedily. Uh, for one's sin, but it mentions here a word connected with long-suffering, which again, I hope you'll take home with you today. Again, an important word as we consider the characters of God's, the characteristics of God's long suffering. Found in verse number uh, chapter nine, Romans 9 and verse number 22, it says, "What if God willing to show his wrath and to make His power known, endureth with much long-suffering?" the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. So what is the measure of God's long-suffering? It's much. It's much. The word much is used in a lot of different places in the Bible and deals with a great amount. It speaks about much love and it speaks about much pain and much service and much goods and much slothfulness, or much food or much riches and Every time you see much, it deals with a lot of something. A lot of something. You know, it's one thing to be long-suffering, and that's one of the qualities Christians should have, is having a willingness to suffer long, to put up with things for a long time. But it's, to some people, this is confusing. In fact, let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse number 11. Uh, God Puts up with much wrongdoing, much sin, much iniquity, much violating of his his law, and all those kind of things. And he deals with so much against him and against his word. And you would say, Why does he do this? Why does he allow this? Here's, here's a verse that sometimes I look at and I wonder, you know, hey, why does he do this? Look at this. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse number 11 says, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. So punishment doesn't come right away. What happens? People's hearts get harder. Isn't that what happened to some degree with Pharaoh? His heart just got harder. I mean, that can happen when it comes to sin. When sin or sentence against sin is delayed, you'll find again that that, that people seem to get harder against the words of God and against the things of God. But yet the Bible speaks of God's much long suffering. Much long suffering. How could we define that to some degree? The many different words associated with this Uh, his much long suffering but let's consider let's turn to psalm chapter 103 three specific terms closely related to his much long suffering psalm 103 verse number eight psalm 103 verse number eight his much long suffering can be seen or or verified through his slowness first of all to anger and again, you see this here, again, mentioned a number of times in the Bible. And I'm just going to look at uh, one verse here, and I'll mention a few other verses that uh, speak of this same thought. But Psalm 103, verse number eight, the Bible says The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. The Lord is slow to anger. You know, God's nature is not to get angry quickly. God's not pro to get rapidly angry or hastily angry. God's nature is to, again, uh, get angry, yes, but in a slow process. Jonah mentions the same thing in Jonah chapter 4, he slowed anger. Joel mentions the same thing in Job chapter 2, verse 13. Nehemiah mentions the same thing in Nehemiah chapter 9. And Micah mentions in Micah chapter 7, verse number 18, God delights in mercy. Understanding God, you'll see that he delights in mercy. He doesn't get angry quickly. You say, how does he do this? Well, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 48. How does God normally, not speedily, execute judgment? It's his other characteristics that keep him from executing judgment speedily. Isaiah chapter 48, in verse number 9, the Bible says, For my name's sake will I defer my anger, and for my praise I will refrain uh, for thee that I cut thee not off. Now by this time in history, I, again, the people of God and, and and that sort of thing, Judah, Jerusalem, they were messed mess spiritually, they were in idolatry, they were uh, very paganistic, they were very anti Again, Jehovah and his rules and his ways and, his, and, the, and, and the worship that they were supposed to be following, they weren't following. And, and yet it says, for my name's sake, will I defer my anger? So how does God not, uh, again, use his anger? He defers to use it. And it mentions, for my praise, I will refrain from thee to cut thee off so that God would be within the bounds of what seemingly would be uh, right and righteous to unleash his anger, unleash his punishment, unleash penalty against Israel here, but he defers his anger. Let's turn to Second Chronicles chapter um, 30, if we would again back up here a little bit in your bible second chronicles chapter 30 what is it that causes god to have much long suffering because he is slow to anger secondly he is most gracious he is most gracious again as we think about his graciousness it surpasses our graciousness he administers grace and mercy in an abundant fashion and uh in 2 Chronicles chapter 30 here, verse number 8 and 9, the Bible says, Now be ye not stiff-necked as your father's word, but yield yourself to the Lord and enter into the sanctuary, which he hath sanctified forever and serve the Lord your God, and the, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn from you. For if you turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that led them captive so that they shall come again unto the land For the Lord, your God, is gracious and merciful and will turn again his face from you if you'll return to him. God gives us opportunity to turn to him again. The reason he he has much long-suffering is because he, he wants to show his gracious nature. I'm willing to give grace. I want to give grace. I want to extend grace. I want to limit judgment. Micah chapter 7, verse 18, the Bible says, God delights in mercy. Delights in it. That means to really like it. To really want to extend it. God's desire is to extend mercy. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 18. We see an example of this back in Genesis 18. I I think it's one of the best examples of God's willingness to extend mercy that we see in the Bible. Uh, God is willing to refrain judgment, even if a city is wicked. So let's just say this, even if a country's wicked, even if the world is wicked. We see this in Genesis chapter 18, where we see Abraham plead for, for grace and mercy for the city. Let's pick up in Genesis chapter 18, verse number twenty. The Bible says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go now and see what they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come up to me, and if not, I will know. And men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abram stood yet before the Lord, and Abraham drew near and Said, wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Perventure there are fifty righteous within the city wilt thou destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein that be far from thee to do after this manner to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked that be far from thee. shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sake. Again, we see here in the Bible, God is willing to spare. God wants to spare. The Bible mentions again here, Abraham going to God and saying, hey, if there's just 50 righteous people in the city, will you not spare Sodom from this judgment? And yet you'll find as he goes on here in this passage of scriptures, I believe again, we find that Abraham began to realize that there's probably not even 50 righteous in the city. And so he asked God to maybe, again, give a little more grace in this situation. Verse 28, it says, Per there shall lack five of the 50 righteous. will destroy the city for the lack of five. And he said, if thou find 40 and five, I will not destroy it. So he please, hey, if there's 50 here, will you not destroy it? And then you see him say, okay, wait, wait a second. What what if there's but 45, will you destroy it? And and, and he goes on and he, and he mentions if there's 40, if there's 30, if there's 20. Let's look at verse 32. It says, and he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak yet this once. Per venture, 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy for the ten's sake. The Lord went his way. And as soon as he left communion with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. How many righteous were within Sodom and Gomorrah before God destroyed it? Let me just say that's certainly less than 10. Otherwise, in chapter 19, you wouldn't have seen the city destroyed. You, you see, God's long-suffering. He's willing to show mercy. He's wanting... This shows mercy. Again, he wouldn't destroy it, even if there's but ten there. And you'll find, again, those that come out of the city, and you'll find it's much less than ten in the city. And you'll find, again, that the only that go out of the city is Lot and his wife and his daughters. They're the ones there that come out of the city. And, and again, you see the city destroyed, but you'll see that God is long-suffering. He shows much long-suffering. He is willing, again, to spare, if possible. In fact, look at verse number 12 there. Let's look at this destruction that takes place a little bit as far as Sodom is concerned. Verse number 12, it says, And the men said unto to Lot, Hast thou any besides, son-in-law, or, or thy sons, or thy daughters, whosoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place, and we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen." Great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And Lot went and spake to his sons in law, which married his daughters, and up, oh, get thee out of this place, for the Lord will destroy it. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons. And when the angel arose, the angel hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take the wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest they'll be consumed with the iniquity of a city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold on his hand, and the hand of his wife, and the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto them. They brought him forth and sent him without the city. So it appears to me there are just four. Just four. I'm not saying these four were really righteous individuals, like living right, but there were four that had been saved by grace, that were spared from the destruction of the city. The Bible says the Lord being merciful. Verse number 16. Came and had these angels escort him. And his family. Out of the city. You see the long suffering of God with Noah. In Noah's day in Genesis chapter 6. It appears he preached for 120 years. To prepare an ark to allow people to enter the ark. So they could escape judgment. But how many boarded the ark? Just a few. Just a few. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. When the Lord returns, what will this world be like? Well, I think the Bible describes it plainly here in Matthew chapter 24 and uh, verse number 37, that it will be like the days of Noah. It will be like the days of Lot. In fact, it says here in Matthew chapter 24, verse number 37, but as the days of Noah were so will the coming of the Son of Man be? For that in those days they were, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying, and given to marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So what will the days be like before the Lord returns? Will be like the days of Noah, where people are in a state of mind where they're thinking wicked thoughts continually. They're doing violent acts on a regular basis. They're, again, set against God and set against the word of God. And God has been long-suffering. And God has given and extended them time to repent. What is it that makes his long-suffering much? Because he is slow to anger. He's gracious to extend great. He is merciful to extend mercy to those that deserve The judgment of God. But let's consider if we turn back to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9, we see first of all the defining of his long suffering is much in degree. And so I say it's amazing that God is such a long suffering God. But I want to say secondly, what is the object of God's long suffering? Well, in verse number 9 of 2 Peter chapter 3, the Bible tells us. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But it's longsuffering to us we are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why is this longsuffering of God so long? I think the answer is given to us in verse number 9 quite clearly, that all should come to repentance. That all have opportunity to come to Repentance. We're not going to look at the tribulation period, but you'll see again judgment sent by God in the tribulation period one after another, and, and they will give, be given opportunity to repent. And the Jews will be given opportunity to repent. And those that have never heard the gospel will be given opportunity to repent. And you'll look at Revelation, I encourage you to look at this, and you'll see that they repent not. Many will repent not. There will be some that repent, but there are many that repent not. But You see in the Bible, why is God so long-suffering? It's because he would have all men to come to repentance, all men to come to salvation, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Why does God put up with people living a a destructive life or an anti-God life or a, a life where they live for the things of this world because he wants them to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? God says in Isaiah 45, 22, and I love this verse, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. His desire is that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 18. When God finally has to judge, does he like this judgment? Does he find pleasure in this judgment? That's maybe something we should Consider, does God finally, when he does judge, and if he has to come to the place of judgment, does God find pleasure in judging the wicked for their wickedness? Ezekiel 18, verse 23 says this, Ezekiel 18:23, Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live, do I have any pleasure in this? Verse 13, 32, the answer is given here. For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord. Wherefore, turn yourself and live ye. And has no desire that people would die and, 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 and die and uh, be judged with a second death. He doesn't want to, to, to die, but to turn and live. I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourself and live ye. Ezekiel 33, I just want to hammer this home. You know, someone says, well, then God must delight when he judges people finally. No, he doesn't. He has no delight in this. He has no pleasure in this. Ezekiel 33, verse 9, Nevertheless, if I warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, and if he will not turn from his way, He'll die in his iniquity. But thou hast delivered thy soul. Verse 10, Therefore, O son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus shall you speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how shall we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will you die? O house of Israel. God's desires, people will turn, turn from their sin, and trust in Christ. Again, you'll find, again, people extended grace. And if we had time, you can write this down. 1 Kings chapter 21, you'll find Ahab extended grace. Ahab extended much grace. And it says of Ahab, and again, I think this is amazing if you think about uh, one person described as being someone very wicked, it says this about Ahab, but there was none like Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord. None like him. We go back in history and could say, well, what about this guy? There was none like Ahab itself himself to wickedness. But you see Ahab humbled himself and uh, you'll find, again, God extend grace to people that were set against him. Let's turn to Romans chapter 2. The measure of God's long-suffering is described in one word. It's much. Much long-suffering. Much means a great amount. Much means a lot of something. And his long-suffering and his willingness to extend grace and mercy and uh not be angry, so to speak, is again described in many different places in the Bible. But uh, let's notice here in Romans chapter 2, verse number 4 and verse number 5, why long suffering? Verse number 4 it says, Or despises the riches and goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Verse 5, but after thy hardness, An impotent heart treasures up to thyself wrath against the day of wrath a revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Verse four says there's certainly long suffering. It can lead to repentance, but there's also in verse number five opportunity for people to harden their heart against God. God forbears, he suffers long with people that they may come to a place of repentance. Revelation talks about giving space to repent. And yet sometimes you'll find people will not repent. And so we see the long-suffering God, God is centered towards the object of people, that they would come to salvation and the knowledge of the truth. But Let's look at Romans chapter 9. I want to end with this thought. And again, It is not necessarily a positive thought, but again, it is a truthful thought that the long-suffering of God ends sometimes with destruction. Look at this, Romans chapter 9, verse number 22. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction? You know, there's long-suffering. It's there. It's available. The love of God is there. It's available. The mercy of God is there. It's available. The forgiveness of God is there. It's available. But you'll see that in the end, God may have to extend himself to show destruction. He must punish. He must give retribution if one will not turn and turn to salvation. Let's turn, if you would, to John chapter 1, if you would. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Have you received salvation? Have you found the forgiveness of God? Have you found the mercy of God? Have you found the grace of God? Have you found the love of God? That God gives grace. It will turn to Him and trust in His Son to be saved. John chapter 1, verse number 12, it says, But as many received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. Have you received him? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Is he your Savior? Or he may become your judge. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. We see this, this judgment that's coming. And again, it's a, a fiery judgment. There was a flood judgment to begin with. And that's mentioned back there in 2 Peter chapter 3. It mentions the world was, uh, the world that then was, was overflowed with water, perished. And then it mentions that fiery judgment that's coming there. The earth is kept in store. It says there for uh, fiery judgment, for perdition among godly men. And then verse number 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth, also the works of thereof will be burned up. And uh, you see again this, this judgment, this sure judgment, this coming. I mean, God's going to just keep on suffering long until he sends this judgment, just like he did with Noah during Noah's day. He just keeps on Extending grace and giving mercy and giving opportunity for people to come to salvation and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But if they reject salvation, it's not God's fault. It's their fault. In fact, let's turn to John chapter 5. You know, if a person rejects salvation, whose fault is it? Is it it the soul winner's fault? Is it Jesus' fault? Whose fault is it? when it comes to people rejecting salvation and missing heaven, it's not because God doesn't give them time to repent or space to repent or, again, show them great grace and, and give them mercy when they deserve judgment. The Bible says here in John chapter 5, verse number 24, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. If they but believe on him and receive him as we've talked about and receive his salvation as a gift, they can have life. Verse 29, it says, and, and shall come forth. They uh, some, that have done good to the resurrection of life and they done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And then look at verse number 39 of this chapter. Verse 39, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they that testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. Who's faulted if, if someone misses life? It's a person's fault. The Bible says, and you will not come to me that I might have life. Let's look at it, Matthew chapter 10. I mean, the opportunity to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth is here. The gospel message, again, encourages people to come to the Savior, the sin bearer, the Redeemer, and uh, yet some will reject this, but yet the Bible says, uh, a lot of different verses encourage people to come to salvation. Here's one of the, one of them that says the same thing here, uh, Matthew 11, verse number 28, it says, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest, take my yoke upon me, and learn of me, for I am. Meek and lowly heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come to me. Come to Christ. In the last invitation the Bible, given a revelation, encourages people to come to Jesus that they might have life. The amazing long-suffering of God is that God would not judge this world. But even if you look back in history, there was a judgment that came during Noah's day. And there is a judgment coming when God will send fire upon this earth. You know, burn it up. His long-suffering will one day uh, come as a fiery kind of a judgment. The long-suffering of God is that quality of God that uh, helps him to restrain himself in the face of provocation. And he will not hastily retaliate or promptly punish. But he is willing to extend mercy. But he's also... Going to have to, to some, extend judgment. Some thoughts on the long-suffering of God. God is a God of much long-suffering. Let me encourage you to to show long-suffering to those around you, to bear long with and to put up with a lot, for God puts up with much. What an amazing God we have. Let's close as we consider the Word of God here this morning.